Amen. What a great morning it's been already. Amen. Uh, we are excited. We are in week four, our last week of our study through the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, before we get into that, I am so excited to uh, share, announce, I know it's already been shared on Facebook and whatnot, uh, that we are blessed to have uh, Colin and Victoria Giles with us. Uh, they got married here recently, and so they are enjoying their life together as husband and wife. And so let's give them a hand this morning. I won't ask what life lessons we've learned in the last couple of weeks as far as what they've experienced and joining together. There's always those fun moments, you know, like this is really cool to be married. And then for sometimes the wife, you walk into the bathroom and you're like, this is what it's like to be married. Okay. (laughs) Although I've heard some guys say their wives are worse as far as the stuff in the bathroom. So we won't go there. Maybe we'll do a marriage series here and we'll talk, tackle all of that. But uh, we are excited to have them with us, obviously, and been praying for them for a long time and uh, enjoying watching them grow together as a couple. Um, and so many of you know their wedding was, uh, and there will still be a ceremony in the fall. Um, but let's be praying for Colin's grandpa, Paul. Uh, just some health concerns there. And they wanted to make sure that he was a part of that ceremony. And so they went ahead and, and did a smaller ceremony with really just immediate family um, just to be able to celebrate with them. And then again in the fall, they'll actually do a ceremony open to the public and all of that. And so we are excited for you guys, praying for you guys. Victoria's hoping I don't say anything too embarrassing. I'm refraining, okay? I'm holding in. I've matured some since you were in youth group. Not much, but some. But we are excited this morning to be continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. We've covered a lot of ground. A lot of information. Uh, so if you've missed any of these, you can go online and check them out. Uh, my prayer, though, is that we will not leave this series with just information. Now, information is good. Uh, I feel like there's a push in Christianity today that anything that's based in the head, meaning head knowledge, is somehow not spiritual. Uh, that it's not very, you know, Holy Spirit-led to have all this knowledge and information that, you know, we need to be more fluid. Uh, I don't see that in Scripture. I, I see the very strong connection between the Spirit leading and wisdom, intellect, knowledge of the Word of God. Um, I love when I hear of Christian men and women studying uh, in higher levels of theology, going to seminary, doing different things like that. Um, it's, it's sad to me that I see a negative connotation put on that in churches. Um, I think it was Vody Bakum said it well when he was teaching at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said, you know, many of you were warned when you came here, don't let them corrupt you. Don't let them rob you of your spirit-filledness by all this head knowledge. Um, I disagree with that. I think information is needed. The Bible speaks loud and clear of the pursuit of wisdom being the greatest pursuit that we can really endeavor upon. And so information is good. But what I don't want is just information, just head knowledge. We need head knowledge with the mixture of the Spirit giving application. And so we need to apply both to our lives as we leave this series and obviously move into our own personal studies on this. I want to encourage us to be thankful for all that we've learned so far. We should worship God that he gave us his spirit, that he gifted us with his spirit. Uh, We have been gifted and blessed in the indwelling of the spirit. We covered that last week. The sealing of the spirit and the filling of the spirit. We've been baptized in the spirit. All of these things are meant to provide to us a couple things. But one key thing is a guarantee of eternal life. That, that we have the guarantee 
of eternal life. You do not keep your salvation. The Spirit of God has sealed you unto the day of redemption. Amen? Uh, you will not lose your salvation because Jesus never loses a one. He's going to hold on to you. He's got you and he will keep you. As far as the indwelling, the baptism of the spirit, we know that happens again at the moment of salvation. Uh, we spoke last week that depending on your background, and we'll get into more of that this morning, you may have heard different teaching on that. Uh, the baptism of the spirit, maybe you were taught, comes as a secondary act of grace. It comes later as you've pursued the spirit, prayed, and, and convinced, really is what it sounds like to me, convinced the spirit to baptize you. And then maybe you were even taken a step farther and you were taught that the only way you know you've been baptized in the spirit is that you speak in a tongue. Now, I said before, last week, I said that goes against some very clear scriptures. One of the things being, and we'll talk about a little bit about the gift of tongues, but one of the clear teachings on scripture, no matter where your opinion on tongues is, is not all believers will speak in tongues. Those are Paul's words. So to tell a Christian, yes, you're saved, you're good for heaven, but to be useful for God on planet earth, you need this secondary baptism of the spirit. And by the way, the only way you know that is you're going to speak in a tongue. All of you will do this. That contradicts scripture. This is not God's word. Not all believers spoke in tongues in Paul's day. Paul says, I would rather I'd never spoken a tongue, but if I gave you five words of wisdom versus a thousand tongues, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. If I gave you five words of, words of wisdom and understanding, I'd rather that happen than speak in a thousand words in tongues. Because it, it was getting confused. It was more about the individual than the edifying of the church. And again, we'll dive into that in a minute here. But we've been baptized in the spirit at the moment of salvation. What did we say baptism means? It means to be plunged or sunk into. You were out here apart from Christ. You were saved. The spirit of God takes you and plunges you into the person of Christ and the body of Christ. You have an intimate connection with Christ. You have an intimate connection with the Father. And you've been indwelt and, and baptized, sealed by the Spirit. That God is doing the work of salvation. Not only has he saved you, but he is sanctifying you through the filling of the Spirit. Which we explained last week is really a maturing in the Spirit. A maturing in our walk with Christ. I want to encourage you to praise God for those realities. Because we live in a day and age where we don't have a lot of things we can hope in. We can't hope in our finances. We can't hope in the government. We can't hope in any of these things that are temporary things. But we have a hope and a guarantee in God's word that we've been sealed with his spirit unto the day of redemption. That we will never lose our salvation. And it's not by your good works or going to church or doing good things or what you do or don't do. Obviously a sanctified life should be a life set apart. I'm not saying we you know, dive into sin headlong because we can because of grace. No, the Bible teaches we aren't to do that. But you aren't kept in Christ because you've been a good person or because you go to church. You've been kept in Christ because God is faithful to the Son and the Son is faithful to the Father and you have been kept in the Spirit. And so we should worship and praise God for that. It's okay to say in our prayers, thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for sealing me. For indwelling me. We can recognize him in our prayers because he is God and he is a person. He's not an it. He's not the force from Star Wars. Now he moves in ways that we don't always understand. Jesus says it like the wind moves the branches of the trees. We don't see the wind, but we see the effect of the wind. We know the spirit moves and guides in ways that maybe we don't always understand in the moment. 
But I do believe the Spirit will always act in accordance with the Word of God because He is the author of the Word of God, the illuminator of the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to move into our last area that we want to cover uh, in regards to the Holy Spirit. And this is the area of spiritual gifts. And as I mentioned the first week, and probably every week to be honest, depending on your background in the church, you've either heard a massive emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, or you've not heard much teaching on this at all. Depending on what church tradition you come out of, maybe you didn't really hear anything about the gifts of the Spirit. Or maybe your idea of the gifts of the Spirit was you took basically a personality test. And at the end of that personality test, you found out what your gift was. And you were like, okay, I guess that's what it is. I'm going to go do this because this test told me it's this. I'm not, I know a lot of us have taken spiritual gifts tests and all of that. I'm not knocking them per se. But what I do believe is that we have the Spirit of God indwelling us and the Word of God before us and a church that we're placed into by the grace of God. I believe we can discover without a person a, a spiritual gifts test, which is really basically a personality test. But anyway, I don't think we need that. Now, if you took one of those and you already felt led of the Spirit by the Word of God that you felt like, okay, I think this might be where I've been gifted and, and that happened to go agree in agreement with that, then that's fine. Great, whatever. But I know people, Christians, who have taken spiritual gifts test, it produced this result. They did not feel at all that that was where their strengths were. And they ended up begrudgingly trying to serve through something and just force themselves into it because this test told them that's what they're supposed to do. That's the danger in these kind of things. And so some of you have had various experiences with this topic of spiritual gifts. Again, some of you, it was emphasized week in and week out. And not so much even emphasized, but you better perform that gift. Some of you maybe grew up in churches where it was expected. It will always be on display. And if you didn't, for whatever reason, in that church service, exhibit that gift, you went home feeling like you were a horrible Christian. Like something's wrong with you. I must be broken. Maybe I lost it. So again, depending on where you grew up and what tr church tradition, you've heard various teachings on this. As we've also said each week, this topic, as well as our other topics, could be an entire series in and of itself. And so my desire is not to be exhaustive in every possible outcome and application, but my desire is by the grace of God to attempt to give a summary teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And so if you want to dive into this more, I encourage you to do so. We can have dialogue about this following, obviously, the service today. I would love to talk to you more about this. But my goal this morning is to give a summary teaching on this topic where we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just on this topic. In this area, there's also been, again, much debate and discussion with regard to a couple of gifts of the Spirit. The specific gifts that tend to draw the most debate and discussion it's not usually hospitality or administration. It's not teaching. Usually, it's three key gifts. The gifts that seem to desire or draw, rather, the most discussion is the gift of tongues. Biblically speaking, this is speaking in a known language spoken somewhere in the world, unknown to the speaker. So the biblical gift of tongues... And again, I, I would encourage you to study this out even more. The biblical gift of tongues, as we see recorded in Scripture is I start speaking in a language that's a spoken language somewhere in the world, but I don't know that language. So it would be as though God gave me the ability to speak German, 
for a purpose of spreading the gospel. I don't know German. I've never studied German. I don't know it. It's a gift given to me. So that's one of the gifts that draws a lot of debate in the church today. The other one would be the gift of healing. Now, again, this would be as the apostles performed healings, not the same as believing that God can still still heal through prayer. This is the supernatural ability where the apostle Paul said, rise up. Where Peter and John walking by and a man laying by the gate, lame, cannot walk, said, get up. Physical, instant, miraculous healing given to the apostles to be able to heal instantly. So tongues, healing, a third gift that draws a lot of debate and discussion in the church today, church, big church, it would be prophecy. Again, this prophecy would be the revealing of new revelation, again, as the apostles spoke new revelation. When Paul proclaimed the book of Romans, it was brand new. He was prophesying that he was bringing that to light. This is not, in my understanding, the same as merely proclaiming a revealed truth. So we're going to talk about this a little bit here. Some people use the same word. Some people use it to mean brand new revelation, brand new from God, never before revealed, on par with Scripture. Okay? Hopefully some of you are already hearing where this can be very dangerous. On par with Scripture. Others use the word prophecy, and what they really mean is something already revealed, an encouraging word from God's word, given to me wisdom and understanding, and I can share that with someone. I'm proclaiming truth. Okay, so we're going to unpack this as we go through the morning. But these three gifts are the three gifts that tend to draw the most debate, discussion, and conversation when we talk about the area of spiritual gifts. Now, let me be clear on this. Although we can and should have biblical discussions about this area of doctrine. Doctrine just means a teaching. Don't be scared of that word. It's, it's a good word. Doctrine just means teaching. We're teaching something that we believe the Bible teaches. So although we should have biblical discussions about this area of doctrine, we must remember that differences in this area, specifically spiritual gifts and really specifically how it's being applied, in this specific area, these are not issues of to break or to sever the fellowship with another believer. So here's what I mean about this. Somebody comes and says, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin. That, that's a main doctrine. That's foundational. That affects a lot of other things. Okay? Someone comes to you and says, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. That's a foundational doctrine. We have to agree on that. Someone comes to you and says, I'm a Christian, but I believe the gift of tongues is for the church today. That is not an issue to say, well, no, we can't have fellowship. Do you see the difference in what I'm getting at here? So I'm going to unpack this, but I want to start off with the onset that you have Christian family members, Christian friends, maybe people you grew up with going to church with, maybe you yourself. You believe certain things about the gifts of the Spirit that other Christians don't necessarily agree with. It's okay in this area of doctrine. We call this a secondary doctrine. That means it's not of utmost importance. It's not a foundational key Orthodox, you better believe this or we can't even be friends as Christian brothers and sisters in fellowship in the same church kind of thing. So some people can believe something about the gifts that you may disagree with and you can still have fellowship with them in the body. Again, I hope that's clear. Now, someone may say to you, I don't believe 
that the spirit of God seals us unto the day of redemption at the moment of salvation. That is not a secondary issue. Why? Because that directly connects to eternal security, to the perseverance of the saints. Another theological position would call that. So again, now we have to say, okay, we may not be able to, now we can have fellowship, but as far as in a local body, one local church where we're gathering together to worship, that would cause some issues. See what I'm saying? So again, we're going to unpack this a little bit, but I pray that this would be enlightening and, understand, and give understanding. I want to look at a passage of scripture that gives us a good summary of the gifts. Not all of the gifts, and we'll give you some other passages to look at. Uh, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And if you are using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 799. Page 799. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Romans 12. And then I'll give you the two other kind of main texts that we draw the information of the spiritual gifts from. And then what we're going to do after that is we're going to kind of explain kind of the purpose of spiritual gifts, why they were given, how they were given. And then we're going to talk about what our church believes about, well, kind of the general picture of what people believe about the gifts and then what our church believes about the gifts today. All right. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says here, first two verses are extremely popular, but he's really getting into Christian conduct. He's built the book of Romans up to this point. Now he's going to talk about the believer's conduct, how we interact as believers, both in the church, among one another, uh, in, the, in the world. He's also going to talk about what do you do with brothers and sisters who have difference of opinion and their liberties. And so 12, 13, 14 kind of dives into this practical Christianity. All right, so ver- chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you see he's already going practical? This is very real stuff. This is everyday stuff. Apply, uh, uh, give your body as a sacrifice. It's this idea of living what we believe. Uh, verse 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according, to God, according as God uh, hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we're get, dealing with this idea, how do we view ourselves even in the church? Am I supposed to think I'm better than you? No, he says, don't think too high of yourself. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, all members... And all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ. And every one, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts. This is the idea of the spiritual gifts. Gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy let us prophesy. Whether to the proportion of our faith. Or ministry let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The key I want to draw us to is going back up to verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Let's pray. 
and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank, thank you for meeting us here, for guiding us and leading us through the service so far. We thank you for all that we've been able to experience in the worship of your name, to the honoring and praying over these graduates. Uh, Lord, again, we just ask that you continue to be with them, that they would not, um, or that rather they would continue to keep their eyes on you, not thinking that it's the world that gives satisfaction or a job or a career or a relationship or a bank account, that only you and you alone can satisfy our souls. And so I pray for each one of these graduates, Lord, for Angela, for Madison, for Abby, Lord, that you would just do a great work there, that you'd continue to show them your love for them and draw them into that closer walk with you. Father, we pray as well for this time that we're going to spend in your word. We pray that you give us wisdom and understanding. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our minds to what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that above all things, you'd help us to know that we are one body in Christ. Lord, we may have difference of opinion on some of these things and different views on some of these things, Lord, but I pray that we would realize that it, to some degree, depending on where we are, Lord, it doesn't have to affect our fellowship and our unity because we are united in Christ, in Christ alone. And so thank you for putting us in this local body, this local church, where we could use the gifts and things that you've given us, Lord, the talents and abilities to honor you and to worship you. Father, again, may you be glorified in all that is said and done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is one of, Romans chapter 12, one of three main passages that you can go to that give us an idea of a listing of the gifts uh, or the grouping of the gifts. And so uh, Romans 12 is one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 would be another list. And then Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 specifically 11 through 12, kind of give us this idea of these groupings of gifts or types of gifts the Spirit gives. Some have suggested, and I don't know that I would adhere to this, that there may even be more gifts that aren't listed for us. Um, I, I kind of believe that the Apostle Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, gave us what we needed to know. And so if there are any gifts that are beyond these lists, I don't believe we need to know that, uh, or he would have given it to us. And so we have here uh, the information we need. The gifts are talked about in other passages as far as referred to, but specifically these are the lists that we come across in Scripture. So what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? And so in your notes, in your bulletin there, there was a handout. If you'd like to take notes, you can. Uh, gifts that are spiritual abilities given by, and we're going to break this down. So spiritual gifts are gifts or spiritual abilities that are given by, the first one there, the risen Christ. So number one, under letter A, they are gifts given by the risen Christ. Why do we say that? Because Christ said, I must go away, that I might send the Spirit, and it will be better for you when the Spirit comes. And so it is given by the risen Christ. He is resurrected and seated on high, and he has given us, by the Spirit, the ability to have these gifts. Also, we find these gifts available to Believers, that means we have these gifts in Christ. Without a risen Christ, we would have no spirit of God. Therefore, we'd have no gifts. And so here we see it's given by the risen Christ. Obviously, by the Holy Spirit. Given by the Holy Spirit. And then number three, to all believers. 
to all believers. So spiritual gifts are spiritual abilities given by the risen Christ, by the Holy Spirit, to all believers. All believers have at least one spiritual gift. Now, you may be sitting and thinking like, I don't know what my gift is. That I can't tell you that. Now, I can, and I've, I've had in the past where people have come to me and said, I don't know what my gift is. And to me, okay, this is what I usually say. I see this in you. As a follower of Christ, I see this. Have you ever met a Christian that was just over and above compassionate and empathetic and just had a way of working with people and just sharing their feelings and their emotions and just really getting with them that way? I believe that's a gift of the Spirit. I believe that people are just given a supernatural ability to understand and treat people with that kind of compassion and grace that, that it's not natural. Have you ever been around someone that you feel like maybe when you were growing up in ministry that could teach the word of God and expound on the word of God in a way that you literally left thinking, wow, and not, wow, what a teacher. Hear me now. Because a lot of us go, oh, that's a great teacher. We're in a big problem in that in the church, I believe. We've got a lot of superstar preachers, okay? That's a great preacher, Okay, he smiles a lot, he, he looks nice, and he makes me feel good. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But someone that was able to expound the word of God in a way that you left just, man, I, I never saw that in a text before. I feel so close to Jesus. I feel so close to my Savior. I just feel so close to the text. I just have enlightenment and understanding. That person, I believe, was given the gift of teaching. Now, some people have had teachers in high school teachers in other areas that really helped you to understand topics. When we say the gift of teaching regards to the spiritual gift of teaching, it directly connects to expounding the word of God, teaching the truths of God's word. Okay. There are, I believe, Christians who have been given the gift of teaching that then go into teaching in a school setting. And God, I believe, is still glorified there. There's other people who have just more of a natural ability to teach. This would not be a natural ability. This would be a spiritual gifting, okay? So, risen Christ, the Holy Spirit, given to all believers. Uh, you have in your notes there, 1 Peter 4.10. Uh, another reference there. We won't turn there for time's sake, but it's in your notes, I believe. To encourage you to understand that all believers have at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are not human talents. Our, yes, our natural talents and abilities are given by God to be used for him, but all humanity has natural talents and abilities to some degree. Spiritual gifts are only given to the church. Only given to the church. That's the distinction. Um, music is not listed as a, quote, spiritual gift. I do believe music is a natural ability that God gives to individuals, but this is why you see people that are talented musicians amazing in playing instruments. I always think of my roommate in college who could play any instrument in almost no time. I remember one time he walked in with a harmonica. It's like, you don't play the harmonica. He said, not yet. I was like, what do you mean not yet? He's like, I want to learn. I've never played the harmonica. I want to learn. Three weeks later, I don't see him playing the harmonica as much. I'm like, hey, you're not playing the harmonica. He says, yeah, I've kind of figured it out. I got bored with it. Okay. He's just that kind of guy. He just has this ability to sit down and play almost any instrument. And, and so it's just amazing to see that. And so 
that's awesome to see God give people those talents and abilities. But there's a lot of people who have musical abilities who don't use them for the glory of God. I, use, I don't watch award shows anymore. I haven't for a long time. But I used to always watch every now and then award shows. You ever get frustrated when somebody with content in their music that is the most ungodly content you can imagine getting up and say, I just want to thank God. As a Christian, doesn't it just get you a little angry? Like, please don't bring my God's name into this, okay? He does not want to be connected to your album whatsoever. Trust me, okay? But this is why. God gave them the gift of music and a sense of a natural ability, but that's not a spiritual gift. Again, that's given specifically to the church. So again, some people can have natural abilities that are really strong in certain areas and spiritual gifting in certain areas. Uh, if you are seriously considering, man, what is my gift? I would encourage a couple things. One, prayer. Uh, just spending time with God saying, Lord, would you just give me understanding in this? Take advantage of opportunities that come your way to serve. I believe that's a great way that God reveals to us by the work of the Spirit what our gifts may be. If you know there's a need somewhere, step up and serve in that area. And I believe by Doing that activity, I believe we're kind of opening ourselves up to being more impressionable, is maybe a word I'll use, that God might speak to us in that. For example, you may have the gift of teaching, but you've never really taken an opportunity to teach. You enjoy it. Man, you sit down with your devotional time and you start writing these outlines and God begins to kind of just encourage you and, and kind of lead you. And you're like, wow, this, I never saw that. I never saw that. And then you think to yourself, I would love to teach this to somebody one day. But maybe you've let fear stop you. Maybe you've let past sins stop you. Well, who would want to listen to me? And so I would encourage you to pray on this. Obviously seek his word on this. Take advantage of opportunities to serve. And just be willing to say yes to God if he moves in a certain way, even if it's uncomfortable. I don't believe that God will gift us and always call us to comfortable things in that area. I believe he'll gift us, he'll call us to things that might be uncomfortable to us, but he gives us a comforter in the Holy Spirit so we don't need to worry. So I hope that makes sense. If you're kind of struggling with that, talk to me more about that. I would love to share more with you, but that's where I would encourage you to start. So these gifts are spiritual abilities given to the church. So why, letter B, why give gifts to the church? Why give gifts to the church. Two key things, again, not exhaustive, but two summary points I would give you on this. The first, number one, to the building up of the church. To the building up of the church. We are going to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. So that's page 825, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Why does he give gifts to the church? So that the church might be built up. Ephesians 4 and verse 12. It says here, for the perfecting, really that word could be maturing. For the perfecting or maturing of the saints, the, the body of Christ, those that are saved. Uh, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is speaking specifically about what we would suggest as the foundation of the church being the apostles and prophets, the continuation of that being in the pastor, teacher, evangelist, those that would facilitate the truth of the word of God. And through those workings, why did he put those positions in place? Why does he give us gifts, spiritually speaking, so that we would be mature and that we would be built up, edified, strengthened? 
And so it's key we understand that the gifts were given to the church for the purpose of building up the church, not the building, the body, the individual saints, those that are in Christ. We minister to one another with the gifts so that we might encourage, strengthen, and build up or edify each other. This is why being connected and involved in the local church is so vital to your Christian walk. Because amazingly, the only way I can use my spiritual gifts to the building up of the church is to be with the church. This is why when people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right, but God has gifted you with certain spiritual abilities. You're not meant to use those in your living room with you and yourself. Like you're supposed to be connected to a body so that then you could use those gifts for the building up of the body. I'm not saying that we can't encourage each other and strengthen each other one-on-one in discipleship settings and so on and so forth. Obviously we can. But as far as the New Testament is concerned, every time you read about gifts or the use of the gifts, it's in direct connection to the body, to the believers gathering together. This is why in 1 Corinthians, we read about all the misuse of things with the gifts. And what was the issue? What was going on in the church? These people weren't misusing the gifts by themselves in their living room necessarily. That wasn't the problem. It was when they came together that now Paul says, this is causing issues and division. And it's not unifying the church, it's dividing the church. And so again, being connected to a local church is vital to not only using our spiritual gifts, but by the way, being encouraged by others, being strengthened by others, being built up by others. Hebrews says it this way, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some do. But then he goes on to say this, the writer of Hebrews says, as you see the day approaching, come together more. Listen, church, if you don't see the day approaching, if you don't believe he's coming again soon, now I know you, you, those of you that are older, older than me, don't get offended, no emails, okay? <laughs> they grew up in the 70s, let's say it that way. The groan, and the, they just all went, oh yeah, that's me. Oh, just kidding, okay, sorry, that was, a, that was too far. Um, cross the line, okay, so... Those of you that grew up during that timeline, you heard a lot of preaching on that. Tons of preaching on he's coming again, he's coming again, he's coming again, he's going to be soon, he's going to be soon. Some of you got to the 80s, then the 90s, and you went, that evangelist didn't know what he was talking about. He ain't come yet. So we got to be careful here that we don't go too far into that understanding that people have misused that idea, but he is coming again. It is a guarantee from God's word. And as it is approaching, we need to gather together more. So for the building up of the church, we got to go. I'm already over. For the building up of the church. Also, number two, for the glory and pleasure of God alone. For the glory and pleasure of God alone. Go back just a couple of books to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Page 809, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 18. So again, one of the listing of gifts. And listen to what it says as we get down towards the end of that listing and explaining that. I love when he talks about you are given the gifts that God wants you to have. You can't complain about it. That's kind of the idea here. Some people wanted gifts that put them more in the spotlight, wanted more attention. He says, nope, you've been gifted exactly as you need to be gifted. But he goes to verse 18. Why? 
But now hath God set the members, every one of them, that's you and I, members of the body of Christ, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. So why does he give gifts to the church? To the building up of the church and for the glory and pleasure of God alone. Everything is done in and through the body of Christ so that his grace is on display. That his glory is on display. We don't do these things. We don't gather together for ourselves. We gather for him. And the spiritual gifts he gives us is meant to build up the church and to glorify and please the Father. So moving into, that's kind of the general idea of what spiritual gifts are. A question we have to ask that many have asked is, number two in your notes, are all the same gifts given to the church today? Again, this is going back to the idea of some of these gifts, there's some debate and has been some debate in the church for a long time now about what gifts, if any, are not given to the church today, or at least not given in the same way. So I'm going to kind of give you the two main views on this, two main kind of branches of this tree, and then I'll tell you where our church sits in this teaching. So the two main views, really confusing names, I know, but a continuationalist, probably already, what does that even mean? Well, that means the same gifts are given today that were given to the early church. They continue. Do you see how people, they put an ist on the end and it sounds really smart. It's just the word continue is really all it is. So there's a continuationist. This is somebody that believes the gifts exactly as we see with the apostles and the original 12 and so on and so forth. Same gifts given today. This includes in this definition, and we'll talk about why sometimes these groupings cannot always apply to what we believe. This grouping would also then mean prophecy of new revelation on par with scripture, apostolic healing, instant healing, including raising from the dead, and other sign gifts, as some have called them, that these exact same gifts would continue. This would also negate or mean then that there are still active apostles in the church today, as there were in the early church. If you take this grouping, this definition to its logical conclusion, the gift of tongues, prophecy, and healing are still active in the church, and where they are not present, those in this camp by, that hold to the extreme view of this, would say that they are not present due to a quenching of the Spirit by those believers. The only reason you see these in certain denominations and not others by the extremes that we see, this group would say, that's because those churches are quenching the Spirit. So the reason primarily most of these gifts are only seen in what we've classified as charismatic churches or charismatic movement, not in other churches, is because all those other churches are collectively quenching the Spirit and missing out. That's, that's the view of that extreme group. The other side of this, on the other side of the tree is a cessationalist. They cease. Do you see how they do this? It's not clever. But anyway, a cessationalist. This is the belief that some gifts were given as a sign to establish the early church and affirm the teaching of the apostles, but ceased to be active in the function of the church. Once the word of God was revealed and the church established, some gifts ceased to be given to the church. So one side, everything just keeps going exactly as it is. One side says, no, some gifts ceased because of the completion and the establishment of the completion of God's word and the establishment of the church. It is important to note 
that both of these views were created by man. So let's note that this is just man's grouping and understanding created by man and taken to their extremes. Both may be unbiblical. What do I mean by that? Well, somebody that's a continuationist that believes that prophecy, including on par with God's word, is for today. What do you do with somebody who claims the prophecy that contradicts the revealed word of God? If they believe they're an apostle, just like the apostle Paul, and they have this revelation, and scripture says this, well, who do you agree with? Well, we would say scripture stands alone. (laughs) There's nothing on par with scripture And by the way, this is true even in the Catholic Church. I'm not picking on Catholics. I'm not picking anyone. But when the Pope writes something and puts a seal on it, I don't care how many seals they put on it, how many times they talk about it, it's not Scripture. This is our authority for faith and practice. This alone. Not some preacher's words, not some Pope's words, not some personal revelation that somebody has. So you can see how taking it to its extreme conclusion might cause conflict. Also, somebody that's in the group that everything ceased could take that to the unbiblical conclusion that therefore God doesn't even heal anymore because healing ceased. So God can't heal. We're done. He doesn't do that anymore. Do you see how both can be taken to unbiblical conclusions? So what does our church believe? Well, those of you that are members of the church, you know, in our constitution, we speak to this reality. And so we believe, if you want to look in your notes or what we believe is that we believe that the sign gifts Healing, prophecy, and tongues. Now, healing being the personal gift of healing, meaning Apostle Paul, Peter, get up and walk, that type of healing from an individual gifted this way. Prophecy, revealing new revelation, and tongues, the gift of tongues, speaking in a known language known somewhere in the world but unknown to the speaker, were sign gifts given for a specific purpose, for a specific time, And upon completion of the word of God, no longer, and I think you have this in your notes, the normative, the normative way God communicates his gospel. And so what what is the word there we want to focus on? Normative. We do not believe it is the normative way that God functions in the church. You have some verses there that I'm going to encourage you to obviously look up and and look into. Uh, Number two. I'm going to just say a little bit more, explain a little bit, and then we need to move on. But number two, does this mean God cannot move in miraculous ways? That's in your notes there, number two. The blank, the first blank should be miraculous ways. Of course not. We believe that certain gifts were given for a period of time. But in no way do we believe that God cannot move in miraculous ways. God can do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it according to the will of God. And so here's what I mean by that. When we look at the New Testament, as the church progresses and the apostles move off the scene, we see the miraculous works and the founding of the church begin to diminish in regularity. God still does amazing things, but it seems to be as the New Testament advances and the church continues, God still does amazing things, but maybe in different ways ways or through different means. I'll give you one example of this and then we'll move on. Another way to see this is since there are no longer apostles in the church and we believe there are no apostles. I don't know if you drive by certain churches, they might have apostle so-and-so out on the sign. I really don't know what they mean by that. Um, The word apostle, actually, if you take one definition, it just means sent one, one who's sent. So in a sense, missionaries 
could by definition be called apostles in that they are sent out to evangelize and to proclaim the gospel. They're sent out of the church. When we say apostle as an office, as a position in the church, like we say pastor is a position in the church, deacon is a position in the church, apostle as an office is no longer in the church. The actual apostles were chosen by Christ. So Paul was chosen by Christ on the road to Damascus. I would suggest where they talk about apostles that aren't part of the 12, I would suggest they're talking about the sent ones using that definition. But the office of apostle, uh, why is it that Paul wrote with authority to the church and they listened? Because he was an apostle. He was one of the chosen of Christ. There's actually in church history conditions to even be considered as an apostle. Were you selected by Christ personally? Did you see the risen Christ? So on and so forth. And so because we believe there are no more apostles, these apostles are no longer receiving new revelation on par with the word of God today. Certain gifts, gifts such as prophecy are no longer given. Interestingly enough, many who say prophecy is from God and is still an active gift will affirm that those prophecies are no longer on par with scripture. So I've talked to individuals who say, I believe the gift of prophecy is still for today. Okay, is it on par with scripture? Absolutely not. What I would suggest then, maybe we don't use the word prophecy as we see it in scripture sometimes. Those prophecies are usually called private revelations. They mean that they were in God's word, God revealed something to them, and they shared it. I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't call that a prophecy. I call that the moving of the spirit with revealed truth. We use the word illumination. Every time I write a sermon, there are so many times where I'll be writing a sermon and I'm just praying through God's word speak and I'll write a sentence and I'll go back and read those sentences an hour later and I'll be like, where did that come from? Now, it's not like I became a robot and I forgot what I was doing. What I mean is, it was above my pay grade, whatever I just wrote. And that's, but I wouldn't call that a prophecy. Now, some of you in certain denominational backgrounds, you might go, no, that's a prophecy. I wouldn't use that word because to me, prophecy is, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen, exactly when it's going to happen, and I'm never going to be wrong if I'm a prophet. Do you know how many people in certain movements have prophesied hundreds of prophecies, gotten a small handful right, and people still support the ministry and call them a prophet? In the Bible, if you get one prophecy wrong, you're a false prophet. So, by the way, not to touch on too many sensitive subjects, but when Trump was running for that second time, we're just going to get real in here as church. Do you know how many prophets I saw prophesying Trump would win? He didn't win. So every one of those prophets, why, are you, why would you follow them? They're a false prophet. But guess what they do a couple months later? They try to unpack it, back it up. Well, this is really what I'm, that's not what you said. By the way, Elijah didn't have to go, listen, I know I was off on that one, but let me just back it up and try again. This is why I would suggest, again, our church believes these gifts have ceased. That we do not have these gifts as the normative way that God works. However, God can do whatever God wants to do when God wants to do it. The gift of healing there are those that believe you can heal the exact same way the apostles did. Try to validate any of these supposed claims. You're not going to be able to. There's no validation of anyone ever rising anyone from the dead apart from what we read in Scripture. Crusades, tent meetings, revivals. Oh, everybody, oh, yeah, look. Do you know that many of these revivals you see on, online, on TV, going back to the Benny Hinn days, 
Do you know there's screeners in the back of the room keeping people that are too sick from coming forward? Story of a little girl, real quick. Taken to a revival. I believe it was Benny Hinn. In a wheelchair. I forget what the disease was. Massive. Been praying for months because she knows she's going to crusades. God's going to heal her because Benny Hinn can heal her because he's got the gift of healing. Her mom brings her in the back, gets stopped by some bodyguards, starts asking all these questions, sends her to the other side of the room, never gets called on. Because he couldn't heal her because he doesn't have the gift of healing. He's a heretic. But this person with the crutches who kind of limps will bring you up. You can psychologically think you've been fixed. You won't limp as bad. But do you know how many of these people have been followed up years later? People with blindness still blind? I'm telling you, if, if these gifts are normative in the church today, which again, our church does not believe they are, but if they were, I would suggest you really look into, are we even seeing the same gifts if they were supposed to be continuing? I, I, I seriously doubt it. But can our God heal? A thousand percent, yes. You know why we know this? Because a couple weeks ago, we laid hands and prayed over Bob Raymond and asked God to heal him. You know what we just found out? Now, the cancer's still there, but guess what? The cancer's not spread like they thought it did. The cancer's confined more than they thought it would. They're saying, man, this might be a very easy solution. Now, not easy in the sense of what we think. There's still going to be surgery and things like that, but there's a, a fix here. Is that just coincidence? No, that's our God being a healing God. And now I don't understand why God heals some and doesn't others. That's not my call, but we're going to trust but God didn't, isn't healing Bob because I laid hands on Bob because I have the gift of healing. No, 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 no. God is healing Bob for the glory of God. And we did our part by coming together and praying over him because we believe he can heal. And so I know this is a big topic. And I know trying to summarize it can be difficult. But please, if you have questions, talk to me. I'd love to di- uh, discuss this with you further. And again, I pray that we would understand the key here is you've all been gifted uniquely for a specific purpose, and you're important in the church. You're needed. Our church needs you, and you are valuable to God. He has gifted you. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and fellowship around this table as the body of Christ, uniquely gifted for his glory and his pleasure. Uh, This morning, for time's sake, it's just now noon. I know some of you are like, what? That flew by. I can't even believe that. So, that was the condensed version. I cut some stuff out of my notes, believe it or not. Here's what we're going to do. I want to take a time of prayer. We're going to pray and ask God to work in our hearts and minds that we might make ourselves ready for the Lord's Supper. But I pray that we would also thank God that he gifted us the way he did with our talents, our abilities, and yes, our spiritual gifts. And pray that we begin thinking, Lord, how can you use me and your church for your glory and your purpose? Not for my glory and my purpose, but yours. And so let's pray and ask God to do those things. Would you, in lieu of an invitation, we're going to have a time of prayer and then go right to the meal. So would you bow your heads right there with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I truly do. I know we joke about it, but I thank you for the attentiveness and the patience and the grace of this church. Lord, I thank you that they are hungry to hear your word and hear the truth of your word. And they're willing to sit through services, Lord, to be able to be closer to you, Lord. Lord, I do pray in this area of spiritual gifts. I know that it is an area to some degree of a secondary doctrine. Lord, I have friends, 
good, close Christian friends that would disagree with me on certain areas of the gifts, and that's, that's fine. Amazing men and women of God who love you passionately. But also, Lord, these individuals agree that a lot of what we see in the churches today that claim to have these gifts, so much of it is a show. There's no substance. So much of this that we see online, supposed healings. Lord, they agree that there's something wrong here. And I believe, Lord, that the more these things are promoted, the more it robs you of your true glory. These heretics that jump around on stage and claim this or that, Lord, they're not glorifying you. And I believe the Spirit is grieved by these things. So, Lord, I pray that we would desire you to be glorified. The Spirit would work, drawing us closer to you. That, again, you might be pleased in all that we do. Father, give us your wisdom and thank you for the gifts you've given to us that we might live for you. Thank you for equipping us with all that we need. We love you, Lord. As we go before this time of communion, I pray that you'd still our hearts and minds. Help us to be honest before you to confess any sin that is unconfessed, Lord, that we would not have anything in our hearts and minds that would hinder this time of worship. Father, thank you for all of this. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray that they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. By simply trusting in you and in you alone, not in works of religion, not in the faith of our parents, but in a personal, conscious decision to receive Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in that way. Father, again, thank you for this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.